0: Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Dear Bear Book Club podcast. Hello, that's Kirsty. That's Nikki. How are you guys doing today? What are you doing today?
1: Me, <laughs> I.
0: Well, I mean, you're only here, but I, I was posing the question to everybody. But oh, yeah. what are you doing, Jake? Kirsty, me?
1: Well, recording. But um, <laughs> so far I have done very minimal. I Mm -hmm. finished the book minutes (laughs) before coming on here, so um, I laid in bed this morning and was like, oh, I have two hours until we're recording, and I have an hour and 42 minutes of audiobooks (laughs) to to listen to, so I just laid in bed and didn't do a single thing. Mm. So I'm sat before Nikki, unshowered, real gross, but I'm here, and we're the we've got a podcast to record
0: (laughs) well i feel like that's why we did a podcast and not like i don't know video recording oh god yeah that's why i did it anyway is because i don't want to get dressed ever and i'm supposed to like fashion and like clothes and stuff i never want to get dressed Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's been pretty much the same for me taking it easy Mm -hmm. because I hope I hope that my voice doesn't sound weird. I think it's the swelling has gone down, but my lovely, stupid little dog—that's
1: not so little.
0: He's not very little anymore. Just absolutely bashed me in the face yesterday. So, and it wasn't his fault, but
1: he's just very excited,
0: (laughs) upset. Yes, no. We were playing out in the yard, and he got down into like the play pose. And so I kind of, like, crouched down with him to, like, go get him. And he, like, jumped up and, like, just right in the face. So my nose is, like, even more sore than it was yesterday. The lip has gone down. I bit my lip. So there's, like, a chunk out of my lip. So it's really sore. And yesterday I was kind of talking, like, mumbled because my lip was fat. And I think it kind Mm -hmm. of still is. But I don't think (laughs) my voice is is as affected anymore but like oh my god it's still really sore my nose is sore my teeth are sore my lips
1: I did think that yesterday you'd been like at least a bottle of wine deep when we called um and Um, you were like okay so I just won't let everybody know I'm not drunk and it was like okay
0: (laughs) I was yeah because I I, like I could hear it that's I knew it was I sounded like I was drunk because when I get drunk I definitely slur my words a lot more Mm -hmm. so I was like I I'm only on my first glass of wine. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it was because my lip was so fat that I couldn't I couldn't talk. It was upsetting. But then by the end of that night, I was I was a bottle of wine deep. So that's also why I'm taking it easy today. Yeah um anything you want to talk about because I kind of really want to jump right in to this episode there's a lot going on in this episode so I really want to get into it but unless you have any book news or anything else you want to talk about
1: uh not really we covered a lot of book news in the last episode so um
0: yeah we did yeah
1: um but we maybe should warn everybody that this is an episode where we focused on true crime um books so it's all non-fiction books and based on real things that have happened. And for some people, that might be a little traumatizing. Mm. Particularly, I'm looking at Indigenous women, so if anybody is listening, and that can be potentially triggering, um, just this is the warning that this episode may not be for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that being said, our theme this week is true crime, which I've been dying to do this episode Basically, since we started, because I feel like we've talked several times on this podcast about being murderinos and listening to my favorite murder, but I think that well, I guess I can only speak for myself, but um, I've been I've been into true crime for a long time, long as long as I can remember. But what do you think? What do you think got you into true crime? Is there like a certain case or anything like that that you like? Well, I, I like
1: there's a few things that come to mind because I remember very distinctly when we had like first met that you had obviously it's not the first thing you bring up with somebody usually but like within the first few times <laughs> of knowing you you had brought up that you were like reading a book that was like a compilation of like different murders like a like an encyclopedia of crime or something like that.
0: Oh, I was reading, maybe it was well, cuz I think Right when I met you, Mm -hmm. I really got into, like, my true, because that's when I first started listening to My Favorite Murder and, like, all the true crime podcasts, and then I started reading, like, a bunch of books. Mm -hmm. So I got into, like, a really true crimey phase that I had to, like, step away from for a bit because I was reading, like, too much and I was getting a bit sad.
1: Yeah, well, I remember that there was, like, a distinct book you were reading because I flicked through it and... In my hometown there was a um there wasn't he didn't live and commit his murders in my hometown. He was from there, he grew up there, and he committed his crimes in London. I remember being like, Oh, pass that here and like flicked through and found his page and I was like, Here, this guy's from my hometown which it's really horrible. What he did was really horrific and uh yeah, and actually um well, his name is Dennis Nielsen and there's a TV series that came out last year um called Dez which I think you can find in different places like I found it through like Amazon Prime to watch and it's really good David Tennant plays him it's a very well done like telling of how they caught him um because it was through clogged pipes
0: yeah that's a really upsetting it's really really
1: upsetting so but I don't think that that's like I I think growing up like people had like mentioned him and things like that so i'd always been like kind of curious as to who he was um because i later found out that um i have a grandparent on either side who grew up on the same street but they grew up on the same street as Mm. him like Mm. but he was just quite a bit younger than them but they all grew up on the same street like it's just kind of weird like um
0: I, I, yeah i think that that's why like it's so like people are so obsessed with true crime is because it's like you can you can never imagine it happening to yourself Mm -hmm. and you can never imagine it happening to your family and you you just like it's almost hard for at least for me I guess it's almost hard to imagine people like that exist yeah and I think for me it's just like I I think it's twofold like I'm obsessed with knowing what to do yeah in case it happens to me. <laughs> and I
1: think that that's a large thing. There's if when you look at like who follows most true crime, a lot of it's like the demographic like is women I mean, and female like huge more than like are huge more way more than men and it's because <laughs> we are disproportionately like the, the victims, victims of, of a lot of these crimes. Crime. Yeah. Yeah, but as for like I guess
0: I don't know if you can say that.
1: So, but. I suppose I had maybe kind of been I'd always kind of watched, like, documentaries and seen things and was, like, kind of interested in understanding, like, how things were solved or, like, why people were motivated to do certain things. But, like, I'd never really, like, leaned into it, I suppose, before until, like, last year. And then I really started listening to My Favorite Murder. I burned through it. It did take me months to burn through because there's there's a lot of lot of episodes. Like, they have, what, probably well over, like, 600 episodes, if not more than that, like combined if you count the mini sodes yeah, with you count, the actual mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah, so they have a lot of content. Um but I suppose like the first like true crime case that I ever came upon was um these two girls that went missing in England. And when you hear of like distinct things like and people are like, oh what was like the first true crime thing that you like remember or the first case you remember because like MFM have brought that up a few times. And I'm like mm-hmm. in- instantly Jessica Chapman and Holly Wells and they were two girls that went missing in england and they went missing in 2002 so i would have been nine and it was in the summer it was august of 2002 so like that was like peak summer mode and i remember like seeing it so much in the news and there was like the these other girls i would play with on my street and i remember we were like pretending we were newscasters which, like, seems mm-hmm. really morbid now, but, like, when you're younger, you don't really understand what's going on yeah. with it. And they were missing mm-hmm. for, like, I think, like, 13 days or something uh, before their bodies were found. Um, Both of them were killed by this guy who was... I think he was the janitor at their school.
2: Um, oh, my God, that's awful. Uh,
1: yeah, the, a local resident and school caretaker. Um, and his girlfriend was like implicated in like um stuff it was just horrible and they were 10 so like they were only a year older than me um Mm -hmm. yeah just really really shit and there was these like i can still like distinctly see like they both had um like, the posters and the pictures they were plastering everywhere, they were both wearing um, Man United football tops. And mm-hmm. one of them had dark hair and one of them had blonde hair. So, like, instantly, you can almost, like, identify with one of them. Like, with like, they look mm-hmm. pretty much exactly like you. And so, I suppose, that was the first time I'd ever been, like, fully aware of, like, seeing something within the media.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm sure that my mom and dad tried to, like, shelter me from that a bit, but it was so much in the media that there was absolutely no way that i wasn't going to see stuff
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but i suppose like from then on i've just kind of like always been vaguely interested in true crime but it's only more within like Mm -hmm. the last year two years that i've kind of more been like oh okay like i am interested in this and um yeah but there's certain things like i can't watch scary movies and my husband doesn't understand how i can't watch scary movies yet i can hear about all these horrific things but i think that there is some sort of peace knowing from like some crimes where we know that people have been caught for things that they've done Mm -hmm. and i do have reservations about how certain things are done within the um prison system and judicial system but for people who do commit crimes like this there's absolutely no question like I do believe that you need to be incarcerated and rehabilitation and things like that need to be in place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I just have a healthy skepticism when it comes to the police force. And that will come out in what I'm talking yeah. about.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a kind of a similar case. However, it did not go as well. They didn't catch anybody. Ever oh, God. Before, but um, yeah. And they never found, like, any evidence. Like, the case I'm pretty sure has been called for, like, years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I'm pretty sure it was, like, a fairly famous case, like, nationwide in Canada, but maybe not. Um, well, you wouldn't have been in Canada at the time. Anyway, but um, it um, was the Tamara Keepness case. Okay. And I think it was, I can't remember what year it was. She was, like, around five when she went missing. Mm-hmm. And like, I would have been maybe not that much older, um, but like they, it was right around the time that they just implemented, I think, I, I think this is why, like, I think it was such a big deal because like, they just had implemented like Amber Alerts or they changed the rules for Amber Alerts or something like that. It was a different way of like working with child, uh, like missing children. Mm-hmm. And it was this huge deal. And there was so many people like out looking for her. And they never, never found her. They didn't find a body. They didn't find any, like, any evidence as to where she could have gone. And they never caught anybody for it. So that was kind of scary for for me because it was, like, she just disappeared without a trace. And, like, I mean, I, like you said, like, after that, I was kind of, like, well, and I think it was, like, that was kind of the end of innocence for, like, Regina, I think. Because, and I'll talk about this a bit, too, for my book, but, like. It was like, this doesn't happen here. Yeah,
1: so it was... At least for me. 2004, so you would have been 11. Well, you would have been 10 at this point. Um.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and she was 5. Okay,
0: she was 5. Okay, yeah. so I was a bit older than that. But, like, it was just such a big deal, and people were talking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It was always on the news, and then it was just, like, nothing. Like, they didn't find a single thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that they still... I, I read an article a few years ago, maybe, and it was, like, the 10-year anniversary or something like that of her disappearance and like it kind of went into a bit about how like she didn't have a great family life and all that kind of stuff but it's just like how how could she just disappear without trace yeah i don't understand it yeah and when i was a kid i didn't understand it because how could that happen to a kid like you know
1: this year like in july of 2022 it'll be 18 years
0: and after like consuming so much true crime i just find it hard to believe that she just ran away like she was five she just ran away or that like something like something bad had to have happened Mm -hmm. because there's no way that she would just leave and not come back Mm -hmm. you know and like to have no connection with her family or anything that's what I don't understand about like all of the old like the cases in the 80s and stuff like that where they would be like oh they just ran away they don't want to be... They're just a teenager that is rebelling, basically. They just ran away. And I'm like, how Like, how? how often did that actually happen?
1: I, like, I actually don't think it happened as often as what they thought it did.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: sure. Maybe some people run away. Yeah, okay. But um, yeah, I have some of those that crop up into the book that I'm discussing today. And it's just like, yeah, there are instances where the family were just like, no, that is not what they're like. Please yeah. trust us. And yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah. And I realized that like the police can get really overwhelmed and there's like not enough resources and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, It's just frustrating when you hear stuff about like stuff that happened back then. And it's just like, ah! Yeah. Like, how can you think that that's what happened? Anyway. Yeah. So for me, like, it's definitely like knowing what to do, but also I just... It's like an obsession for me to know why. And I think a lot of the people, like a lot of people who commit the crimes or to commit heinous crimes like these ones, they never, they won't ever say, I don't think. But like, I think like lots of psychologists can maybe, mm, what's the word I'm trying to say here? They can guess, I guess, as to why, or they have some sort of mental illness or whatever it is. But it's just like, It's hard, yeah, it's hard to imagine someone you know being that, like, being, like, a psychopath or a sociopath, Mm -hmm. but it's so likely that you'll meet somebody in your life that is like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not necessarily that they're going to commit, like, horrible murder or anything like that, but there is people like that who don't have emotion and who don't feel remorse or, like, reverence for human life, maybe is what I'm trying to say. It's just crazy to me to think that there's people like that in the world and you can't, you like, there's no way to know because they're so good at, like, faking it, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very scary. So I, um, And I do feel that, like, often I need to, like, take breaks. Like, I don't watch as much mm-hmm. of, like, documentaries and things, Um, but I think that's because they, like, obviously paint a very visual picture. Yeah. Whereas if I'm listening to things... It can only go as far as my imagination holds and mm-hmm, that sometimes true. can hold me back from I suppose being as worked up about things. Um
0: I feel like it's worse for me.
1: It my imagination can also go off in <laughs> yeah, the absolute. I have a worst really direction. active
0: imagination. <laughs> um yeah.
1: so I do have to be careful of what I'm consuming and
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I think you have to when you're doing true crime. But yeah, like, so after that, it was, like, definitely more of an interest. And then I started, like, once I got to be a bit older, like, my parents started letting me watch, like, CSI and, like, Criminal Minds. So I was, like, obsessively watching all of those shows all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably what really sparked it in the end, even though I know that that's not true crime. But, um... Yeah. Yeah. And then it was, like, right when the podcast boom kind of started. I don't know why my voice is cracking so much. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But, um, right, like, I don't know if it was the podcast boom. I probably came in, like, right after the podcast boom, but I started getting into podcasts because I had such a long commute,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I was like, oh, yeah, I really like to listen to, like, true crime podcasts, and it's just, like, crazy to me to think that I would just be, like, sitting on the bus with, like, however many people, like, 20 other people, and I'm just, like, in my ears, it's just, like, and then he like chopped the body up, and, raped and
1: murdered somebody. <laughs>
0: yeah and I'm just like I really hope my headphones don't unplug right now because that would be really embarrassing
1: that's like whenever you like if you're listening to an audiobook or like reading on the bus um (laughs) like a sex scene I'm like
0: oh my god (laughs) yeah Um, I have to turn it off I literally have to turn it off because I'm like I can't I I think I actually
1: (laughs) messaged you there was like a book I was listening to on as an audiobook and I was like I had to stop listening to this book on the train because they were like very visually giving somebody a blowjob and i was like <laughs> uh i i can't i can't like pe- people can't know i'm listening to this in my ears like what the hell But well, also
0: i feel like my face would just turn red and i yeah. would just be like everybody would know what i was listening to yeah oh my. um anyway so yeah let's jump right in because uh i think this is gonna be a long one there's just so much to talk about yep and i think you're first i'm first this week so my book for the theme of true crime is a little something called in cold blood by truman capote and it was published in 1965 um yes yeah, so i actually heard about this book from my favorite murder it took me a while to read it though i read it last year i borrowed it from the library and then i had to buy myself a coffee because i loved it so much and I just want to give a disclaimer and say that there is a lot of information about this book and it is obviously true crime. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's true. Obviously it's true or else I wouldn't be doing it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's based on a real case. I didn't know anything about the case before I, before I read the book, which I don't even like, I feel like probably people our age and like people today probably wouldn't know about it. It was just, in this small town in kansas so it's not i i feel like the only reason that 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 it's like a recognizable case now is because of this book um so i didn't know anything about it i highly recommend that if you want to read this book i wouldn't look into it before you read it just because i think it'll enhance your experience reading the book that much more um so let me just read the description of the book quickly it's not very long On November 15, 1959, in the small town of Holcomb, Texas, four members of the Clutter family were savagely murdered by blasts from a shotgun held a few inches from their faces. There was no apparent motive for the crime, and there was almost no clues. As Truman Capote reconstructs the murder and the investigation that led to the capture, trial, and execution of the killers, he generates both mesmerizing suspense and astonishing empathy. In Cold Blood is a work that transcends its moment, yielding poignant insights into the nature of American violence.
1: Damn. Yeah.
0: I think, like, even after I read this book, I'm pretty sure I texted, like, the group chat right away and was like, you all have to read this book because I think everybody will really enjoy it. The writing is just so... It's like you're reading a fiction novel. And I really like that because uh, sometimes... Like, I do like reading True Crime novels and i like hearing about you know the real police work the real like all that kind of stuff and like true facts about what happened but sometimes it could just be so boring
1: well yeah it, it can be um if it's laid out in an like a format that fiction writers use it's i think easily digestible for you to then like yeah consume you're still retaining all the stuff but it's way easier for you to follow along. There's like a like a more like yeah. a concise storyline beginning for you to follow through middle, what's happening.
0: Or beginning, middle, and yeah. oh my god, cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the way it's written. And I like I didn't know that much I about about the book before I read it. So I think like it was almost hard for me to believe that it was a true story, just the way that it was written. And he kind of has it like separated in pieces so like the first part is like the day of the murder and then kind of the murder being discovered and then interspersed with that it's like the murderers so you know who the murderers are um like throughout the book okay um because it kind of describes like how they get there and then it kind of blazes over the the crime and then it's like them trying to escape to mexico i believe it is
1: so it like that's kind of like um, the TV show The Fall, where you know who the guy is the whole time. Yeah,
0: and it, it intersperses like the two the two stories of of them, like the police trying to figure out who it was, and like them trying to escape, basically. Um, and then like the last part is kind of just like the trial and uh, like the finishing up of it all, I guess. So it yeah, it has like a definite like beginning, middle, end. And it's, like, he's such... I mean, it's Truman Capote. Capote. It's, like, one of the most famous authors of all time. Obviously, he's an amazing writer. So I don't think I have to talk too much about that because everyone knows that he's a really good writer. Um, Yeah, so I... Like, I don't want to go too much... Oh, also, I should say that I did get some information from, like, Wikipedia, um, Sparknotes, and I just did some Googling, like, about the book and the case because there is there's a lot of information about the case but there's also a lot of information about the book being written because it's kind of considered the first true crime book i don't think that that's true necessarily but like it's the most popular one if that makes sense he
1: sorry i'm just i looked him up just now because i was like i i don't know who he is yeah but (laughs) but he labeled it as a nonfiction novel which that's kind of interesting um yeah i labeled it that way
0: i was wondering about that because i was like isn't a novel isn't the just like the like the meaning of a word oh god oh definition definition thank you there we
1: go i was about (laughs) to say connotations but that wasn't is it the definition
0: (laughs) either (laughs) isn't the definition of novel that it's fiction well let me just double check okay great
1: (laughs) define novel a fictitious prose Hmm narrative of book length typically uh typically representing character and action with some degree of realism okay well but maybe he was just like describing as a novel because of the way he structured it yeah
0: definitely like the prose is is great in 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 Mm -hmm. it and also i did read i only saw this in like one article so not really sure how true it is but i guess he might have taken some liberties with the stories but it sounds like it would have been, he would have just been kind of filling in the blanks. Like he would be inferring what happened because there's no way to know what actually happened. Yeah. But like still, I mean, that's probably not great in a true, you should probably say like, we don't know how this happened, but it could have been something like that. You, you probably should like preface preface that by saying that because because it's true crime and because there's like real people involved and this was like a real family that was horribly mm-hmm. murdered. Um, Yeah, so like interesting fact it's dedicated to harper lee like the dedication is to somebody else at harper lee which it always just amazes me that like all of these super famous art like artists and authors all knew each other like remember that movie that joseph made us watch a few months ago
1: a midnight uh midnight Paris. yeah and they're
0: all like hanging out together all the time
1: yeah, because they all knew each other. They were like a bunch of American um, authors lived in Paris before um, World War II. They had like a particular name, like the groups that they were all together. But like, um, yeah, and then they were like mixed with artists and different people. Mm-hmm. So like they all like it was like a big like art kind of like community. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's just crazy to yeah. me to think that all these like really talented like geniuses all knew each other yeah apparently they grew up together like they were childhood friends and like she traveled with him to like help him write this book because he's not from kansas i actually don't know where he's from i didn't look that up i should probably look that up
1: but i have his wikipedia page open. great he was born in new orleans okay
0: so he wasn't from kansas he just heard about this murder before they caught the killers they ended up killing kick oh my god they end up
1: catching I think he grew up in Alabama, so Oh sorry.
0: They ended up catching the killers within like six months, which is like pretty impressive by like today's standards. Yeah. I'd say. But he found out about it before they caught them. So he was there basically following the case from like wow. after the murder, but like before they caught before they caught the guys who did it. So like he was kind of in it the whole time. And he apparently took thousands of notes. As like they interview people the, and like the the investigators and like just the people of the town. Um, somehow it's only the second; it's the second best selling true crime novel of all time after Helter Skelter.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Which I've never read it, and I, to be honest, uh-huh. I have no interest in reading it.
1: No, because
0: None. I just I don't find uh, what's his name Ch- like Charles Manson interesting at all. Like, he was just a, like, fucking, like, nice guy who just, like, you know what I mean? Like, a nice guy. I'm not saying he's a nice guy. I'm saying he's, like, the internet nice guy. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a neckbeard.
1: Well, I, so, like, narcissistic yes! that I, I'm not delving into that. Yeah. Like, um. I just
0: have never found it interesting. He's just such a dick.
1: He fuels his own glory, so I don't need to fuel that. <laughs>
0: yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Is he still alive? No, he died. Like, not long, they were doing a bunch of movies because it was, like, the 50th anniversary or something like that. So that was, like, when um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out and they did another one. I think Hillary, did it ever come out? I don't remember seeing it, but, like, Hillary Duff was supposed to have been playing Sharon Tate. I don't know if it ever ended up coming out because there was, like, a lot of backlash, I think. Well, there was some backlash
1: about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too, so. yeah,
0: Did he die of COVID? i don't know
1: no i think, I think it was again... before that no there was somebody who died of covid like a murder oh no, he died in 2017
0: mm.
1: was it dennis nielsen that died of covid
0: oh yeah i think maybe I, he, I think he had it i don't know if he died of it but
1: oh my god my history right now <laughs> oh no he died in 2018 <laughs> oh there was somebody last year charles manson Dennis.
0: oh no dennis nope. no that died last year i don't know anyway it's fine.
1: It wasn't Charles Monson, it wasn't Dennis Nielsen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: um Yeah, anyway, so I think what, what drew him to the crime was that, at this time, and I think now that we've, we've all been kind of talking about true crime for, for, like, quite a while here, we know that this isn't true, but in every small town like this, if something like this happens, everybody says, like, this doesn't happen here. This could never happen here. And I think... Well, I mean, I, they don't, they didn't even have the term serial killer yet at this time. Not that this was a serial killer doing it, but, like, the the idea that, like, a stranger could come into your town, kill an entire family, like, for, for what seemed like no reason was just, like, yeah. un, was just unthinkable for most people. And I think the idea of stranger murders was such, like, such a baffling concept to most people back then that... That's probably, I'm inferring, I can't say for sure, but that's what drew him to the case, is because it was, it seemed like there was absolutely no reason. They were an upstanding family in the community, community, they went to church, like, they were involved, like, the kids were involved in sports, and, like, she was about to graduate, and I should probably say their names, just for respect purposes. Um, so the dad's name was... Herbert, I
1: think. While well, you're looking that up, um it was Peter Sutcliffe, who was the Yorkshire Ripper. Mm. He was he was the guy who died last year. I... From COVID. Oh no, he didn't die in prison, but he was like he died from COVID related complications in hospital while in prison custody. Mm-hmm. Still. I didn't watch... But I think it was a big deal at the time because that was when the Netflix show mm-hmm. The Ripper came out, mm-hmm. so we were more aware of him. Um, yeah I
0: was just about to say I did terrible dude, I so. didn't watch that one but I heard that it's like scary
1: oh yeah you got pissed because Evan watched
0: it with oh him. yeah that's right yeah so it was herb Clutter Bonnie clutter and their two teenage children Nancy and Kenyon so it was four people anyway yeah so I think that's probably what kind of drew him to it was because it just seemed unthinkable at the time that someone you don't know could just come into your house and kill you like that and so the
1: brutally- an idea that like yeah and idea that like so like that's not like a quiet situation Mm. this is what baffles me when like people are like it's like a whole family that's murdered yeah and like i i don't know the like particulars of like the situation but it just like blows my mind that like all of a sudden like an entire household is just like gone gone Mm -hmm. and like severely beaten and i know a lot of times it's like people were sleeping i'm like yeah but like you would well i suppose it depends if you had a blow to the head straight away you'd be gone but like wouldn't there be like noise mm-hmm. of some sort? Like, and I'm a deep sleeper, so that like terrifies me because I like have slept through like the worst thunderstorms and like where people are like, how the hell did you sleep through that? Like, no, um, yeah. So like, it kind of terrifies me that I maybe wouldn't wake up. Well, um, no, I think if something was happening. I think but you I would. Think you would, but also there's like the the terror would freeze you, especially yeah. if like they went for like the parents first or anything like that mm-hmm. as a child that like hearing something like that is terrifying yeah so
0: well i don't want to give too many details about the the actual case because i really i really do want you to read it if you think that you would be interested Mm -hmm. because it's just so it's so good like and I, i i honestly couldn't believe how good it was because i don't like to read older books most of the time because i just find i find the writing so different than like modern books yeah, And it's hard for me to sometimes, so I don't know, maybe wrap my head around it isn't the right term, but, like, it's it's just, like, it, you have to, like, reorient... I understand. You have to reorient yourself, kind of, when you're reading an older book. Anyway, so, um, I don't want to give too many details, but they were, like, tied up, and it was, like, it was, a, like, a robbery. Originally, they were only gonna rob them. Oh, okay. And then when they found out that they didn't really have the money that they thought they did, they murdered them, basically. That's the... I know. Which like, uh, which I guess no, I'm lucky in that sense. I don't have any money, so I don't, I don't think anybody's going to come after me for thinking I have money because I don't I don't have anything. So,
1: <laughs> no, but like they didn't have anything, yeah. and they came into the house and then killed them. So like,
0: it still happened. It could happen. To maybe anybody. just
1: like keep something like stashed somewhere just in case. <laughs>
0: so okay, so that they can have it. You're right. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So and I mean yeah. So read it for for the details of the case because. I really, I really want you to have the have the experience that I had because it was so great. Um, anyway, so yeah, so it, it was unthinkable for this town that this could happen there. And there was almost, like I was saying, there there was basically nothing connecting them to the murders because they were strangers. They they didn't they had never met them. The oh it would be hard to kind of describe what happened without telling you what how they found out about these people. But
1: I think that we can give us like a bit away because like
0: it's and uh, I mean you like you, you it happened so long ago you do have the ability to look on the internet and it'll tell you everything about it yeah. and I, maybe maybe it wouldn't take away from your experience of the book to know all the details but I think it was like just such a cool experience for me to like go through it like as it happened basically but anyway so these guys are not great obviously they killed an entire family but they were in prison for like other things. I don't think they had murdered anybody before this. But they were pr- in prison for like petty crimes. How many people? Two. Were the two. Okay. Two mur- murders, you mean? Yeah. yeah, two murders. So, there was one that was like he ended up being um diagnosed with schizophrenia, I think it was. And then there was one that was kind of the leader and he I don't I don't really want to should I say their names? I don't really want to say their names. I'd rather say the names of no, the victims. Fine. Anyway, you can you read all about it in the book, I promise. Um, So the guy, they were both about to be released from prison, but they like it was hard to get a job after you've been in prison. So they needed a way to make money. So this guy was talking to his cellmate. I think it was his cellmate, and he was he had worked for this family because they had a farm and a very successful farm. And he told them that they had a lot of money in their safe. And that's when they were like, okay, we're going to rob this family. Because they knew that they- So it was targeted. It was targeted, yeah. But they had never met them. They just had information from this guy in prison that they met that said they keep a lot of money in their safe and that was it. Hmm. And it seems odd because they literally had to travel for like a day to get to them. I feel like there could have been any number of people along the way that had money on their property. Yeah. But I guess it's like, you never, you never really know. And if you have this like, you know, lead. I guess
1: if somebody's told you
0: this, mm, it seems more plausible. But then they ended up not having anything in their safe, and it ended up the way it did. So, um, yeah. So they had they had basically nothing to go on the the investigators. Okay. Um, at least like they they were so far removed from it that I I I don't even remember how they ended up getting to that point, but. It's a good thing they did. And like I said, they caught them within like six months, I think. So
2: mm-hmm. I
0: feel like detective work used to be a lot. I mean, they had so many limitations, though, because think about now we, we have DNA and like all that kind of stuff and science, but they had like nothing back then. It was basically just like deduction. Yeah. And I feel like they definitely didn't go like to school as much as like uh detectives do now. I don't know. I, I don't actually know what the process yeah. is to become a detective, But with it being like...
1: You find in a lot of cases when there's like multiple jurisdictions involved, mm-hmm. that's more when they have problems. When it's like just one like targeted crime, then there's less of that like crossover, and I feel that that's when like sometimes things can fall through the cracks. Is when like it's multiple different areas.
0: Mm-hmm. True. Um. Yeah. So I mean, spoiler alert—they end up getting caught. But I actually prefer that to unsolved crimes, <laughs> which I know yours is. And it's not that I, because I do still like to watch Unsolved Mysteries and stuff like that, but it just makes me so mad that, yeah. I just always need answers, you know? No
1: satisfaction that really derives from the, like, oh, yes, they caught him. Mm -hmm. None of that. Yeah. Or her, but more likely him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so they ended up getting caught, and Capone actually testified in front of the Senate when they were doing, it just says on the website, it just said during an examination of the case. So I don't know if that would yeah. have been, because they do also talk about how, because one of them, one of the murderers, was diagnosed ultimately with schizophrenia, they use it as an example, which this is this is what I mean about it being so much information, and I just want to be able to do it justice, and I know I can't because I don't have all the information, and it's just such like it's just such a big case, because so much ended up coming out of it, so I'm gonna try my best to describe it or talk about it in the best way I can. But please, if you have more information on the subject, or if if you think I made a mistake, please email us and we we I will correct it on a on a later episode because I I don't because true crime is such a triggering subject, like you said. Like I I, I just want to be able to do it to do it justice. But this case was examined. Um, as an example of the limitations of the Minotan, uh, because My Heart Murder actually does an episode about this. Did you listen to that one where they talk about the, uh, like, insanity defense?
1: Yeah, it rings a bell, it's wh- but I don't really remember.
0: Yeah, it's within the last few weeks. Yeah, I can't remember exactly which episode, but they do talk about it. So that's the only reason why I knew what, what they were talking about. But basically, it's the the Monoton rules... And I think it's been overturned now. I don't know if they still have this in place, but basically it's um, how it is determined if a criminal was insane at the time of their crimes and therefore incapable of being tried fairly. So it's basically the, the way you can decide if, the person who committed the crime was legally, quote-unquote, legally insane at the time of their crime. And they can't... I want to say... It's
1: very difficult to pinpoint
0: yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, it, and it, it's changed so much over the, the amount of time that it's been available to use as a defense. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, it, I think the monoton rules, I think it's... Is this the one where it's basically whether or not... Uh, in the first systematic treatise, treatise? treatise on English law written in the 13th century, he stated that an insane person is one who does not know what he is doing and is lacking in mind and reason. So I think they expanded on that later on to say that like, if the person doesn't know right from wrong, they can't be... But I think that makes it difficult too because, anyway, like I said, I don't know very much about it, but this they use this case as an example mm-hmm of the limitations of that, because you could have said that like the, the other, the second murderer was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but he also was, I feel like he was being influenced by the first murderer. So it's like, is he as culpable? But then it comes out that, I mean, they both have a different story. I think ultimately in the end, because the first murderer says the second murderer committed all of the crimes yeah. But the second murder said the first murder killed the women and he killed the men.
1: Yeah, and it's like, so, who do you really believe? Yeah, in? and
0: it's like, obviously, these are not...
1: People of sound mind. Exactly. Really they're really. not of
0: sound mind, but they're also not trustworthy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, like, how how, how could you possibly believe them? Yeah. How could you ever possibly know what actually happened? Like, I, like the ending of the book was the ultimate for me because it talks about, like, C- Capote went all the way to the end because... At this time, there was still the death penalty. So this uh-huh. was a death penalty case, and ultimately, spoiler alert, they were sentenced to death. Yeah. Um, so I think even then, there was still a lot of like appeals that had to, to happen before they were actually executed. There are certain legal things that you have to do in order to, to be executed, and it actually takes a long time from the time that you're sentenced to the time that you're actually executed. So like, they were caught and tried. I'm pretty sure... Within a year, but I think it took a few years for them to actually be executed. And he talks about, so like what, like you were saying about the prison system, he talks about how we, like, I think in the American constitution, correct me if I'm wrong, but it says something about you should be subjected to cruel and unusual, uh, cruel and unusual punishment.
1: You should? You shouldn't be. Okay.
0: And like you're, you have a right to a speedy trial and stuff like that.
1: I know about the right to a speedy trial, but I don't know really, uh, I yeah, sure, I presume the cruelty thing is in there, but, like, I don't really know much about the Constitution.
0: Maybe it's not in the Constitution, maybe it's another law or something like that, but he was saying that it's it's really cruel, and again, I I don't know if I'm the right person to be making the moral argument about the death penalty, and, I, to be honest, I don't even know how I feel about it. I've gone back and forth on it a lot over my time being like a thinking, conscious person, because, mm-hmm. like, we... Like, I took a theory of knowledge class when I was in high school, which is as obnoxious as it sounds. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: And we had, like, one class where we were, like, debating, like, moral issues like this. And, like, one of, like, the death penalty came up. And, like, my friend, who I felt had pretty similar views on life to me, was so for it. And I just, I can understand, like, I can understand the impulse to... To do like an eye for an eye kind of situation, like a life for a life, I can understand that. Especially when you're the family of the person that this happened to. Mm-hmm. I just also think it's like two wrongs don't make a right situation. Yeah. So.
1: And um, yeah.
0: It's it's hard to talk about because like it's I know that so like everybody has different views on it, and I obviously don't want I I'm obviously not an expert on the situation, but yeah I I don't I don't really know where I was going with that, but anyway. He talks about how like it's it's a cruel and unusual a punishment to make a person know that they're gonna die and make them wait for it basically. And when you're on death yeah. row, you're basically like you're sitting in a cell by yourself all the time because so, you're not in with general population. I I think I yeah, think that's how it works. I'm not too but sure like, about
1: the isolation part. But um, a few years ago, I was in Belfast mm-hmm. and we went for a tour of the Crumlin Road Jail. And it's like across the street from the courthouse. So it was very fascinating in the sense that like um, the courthouse, there's actually like a main road that divides where the courthouse is across the street and the jail and the courthouse is like not in use anymore, but they actually had a tunnel from the jail to the courthouse that went underneath the road because this also housed political prisoners and during the height of the troubles and everything, it potentially wasn't safe for people to be escorted On the street level. Mm -hmm. So they were taken through in this tunnel. Um, But I don't know if that's why the tunnel was created or anything like that. But um, there were several like fascinating things about there. Like it was made like a panopticon. Um, Do you know what that is? Okay. So it's where where, hmm? a pentagon? No, a panopticon. Okay. No, I don't
0: know. So
1: it's where like something is shaped. So if you stand in one point, you can see the whole thing. Hmm. So there was like a, like a circ room with these like four branches off Mm -hmm. so if somebody was standing on whatever level you'd have to be standing on like the like I think there was like three or four like levels whatever level you were standing on you could look down every single like corridor of um, things the jail itself was also at the height of the troubles had like three times the population that it was meant it was originally designed for Mm. Um, and they t- they as part of the tour they take you to this like one particular room and they're like oh yeah so this was like the special room that people were taken into if they were about to be executed mm-hmm. because this this prison i think was built in like the 1800s so like it um definitely was old but this room that they, the people were kept in to be hanged was like a, like a nice room. that It was like a bit bigger than the other ones. They were given a bit more room and there would only be like, I think one person in the room. I Well, they would have to be for what I'm about to explain. And when it came to the day of their execution, they would be getting ready to leave the cell. And the bookcase that was there slid and there was a door that opened. And right next door was the gallows. Mm. And like the gallows were still there um you could like i think like walk on to like cuz they had like a glass like thing so you could look down hmm. um it was pretty horrific mm-hmm. like i felt so uncomfortable mm-hmm. in there like i wanted to get out immediately so then you go down the stairs that takes you to like below and then you like wander through a bit there and i like that whole time i was just like i i need out like yeah. it just it was so uncomfortable but the not that the like w- the person who was doing the tour was like making jest of it but they were like yeah it was pretty much a mind fuck for people who like were waiting on to, to be executed to find out that like the time and solitude that they had beforehand in this nice room was right next to where they were about to die
0: That's, I, I don't like that and that
1: I don't think that'll ever leave me because it was like it, it's not even like a story or anything like that like I actually witnessed it and it was not yeah. cool um, yeah, yeah and I mean
0: uh you know to be like i don't think that these guys deserved to be free or anything like that obviously they like were bad people and they deserve to yeah. be in prison for the rest of their lives but like did they deserve the mental torture of like waiting i don't know it's it's hard to say and like i said i don't i'm not an expert and i don't want to say anything wrong but it's just it it makes you think about all that stuff and yeah. i to be honest i don't know what the answer is because could they have been rehabilitated? Rehabilitated? Because I think there is a lot of I think there's a lot of criminals who can be re- rehabilitated, but like people who commit and
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are incarcerated who definitely should not be incarcerated. Yeah, exactly. Either. Like
0: and and I like if you've committed a murder, can you be rehabilitated? If you rape, like if you've committed serial rape, can you be re- rehabilitated? Like, it's definitely not for me to, to say, but. I think it's definitely an important conversation that we should be having in in society because it's not really black and white, I don't think. And I think that there's a lot of gray areas. And obviously it's not working because, like, think about how many people are released from prison who go on to commit more crimes and more crimes of the exact same nature that they were put in prison for the first, like, in the first place. So it's like, yeah, so like you said, there's people in prison that shouldn't be. And then there's people that are Mm -hmm. being let out that shouldn't be. So, yeah. Anyway, it's just a really interesting commentary about, like, the death penalty, the prison system, all that kind of stuff. And all that kind of stuff back in the 60s. And it doesn't really seem yeah. like it's gotten any better. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, also, I found really interesting that they went back and interviewed a bunch of people on the 50th anniversary of the crimes. They went back to this town. And the town people basically said that it changed their lives forever. And because it was such a horrible horrifying crime they stopped they stopped trusting people and i think that that's kind of what happened like in this small microcosm but it also happened globally over the last i don't know 50 60 years
1: yeah i feel as we became more globalized and more like um the ease of travel Mm -hmm. and things like that and to do with like media we are well more we are (laughs) a lot more aware of things that are happening on happening in different parts of the world my good god different parts of the world are we podcasters do we know how to talk (laughs) i know words are difficult (laughs) um so all of those things like they were all existing before but we're just like well more
2: aware yeah
1: well more aware (laughs) jesus i will keep wanting to say that um yeah definitely more aware of those things and it makes us wary it's not that they're not more prevalent we're just yeah more aware i've said that so many times in the past Thirty seconds. <laughs>
2: Holy shit!
0: Yeah. So they said that they basically just stopped trusting each other. Like it stopped being. And I think like I I can see that happening now. Like it's people don't talk to their neighbors as much anymore. Like we talked to like one neighbor when we were living in Vancouver, and even now we haven't met. We've been here for how many weeks now? Two or three. We have. We've like mm-hmm. said hello, like a vague hello to one of our neighbors. And I mean, obviously, it's also winter right now, so. I think we're really excited to, like, because we have a little porch, we're going to, like, set up chairs, we're going to have porch beers, and maybe that'll be a good way to meet to meet our neighbors. But, like, I think it's really important to have that sense of community, and it's really sad that we've lost it. Because I think even when we were kids, like, we used to just run around our neighborhood all the time. And, yeah. like, I think at this, like at our, like, at the point where we were kids, it was starting to be a bit more regulated maybe is the word that i'm trying to say because like we would still like if we were going further than like the end of the street like we would have to take our walkie-talkies with us and that's how we would communicate with our parents if we needed something which nothing ever happened luckily yeah
1: i yeah when i was like quite young we had like up until like a certain point on either end of the street because we were like on the corner of like where this like of the bend our street was like on a curve so we were right on the And like the corner of the curve um so we had like a point in either direction and then that was slowly expanded and then when we wanted to go beyond there we had to like definitely let my mom know where we were going and then when I got old enough to have a cell phone I could kind of like I had to let her know where I was going but then as long as I had my phone on and I would pick it up Mm -hmm. she was okay with me going places
2: yeah
1: when I didn't pick it up then there was problems yeah (laughs) so
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I just think that that's, yeah, because as like as a community, like, and it describes kind of their community at the beginning of the book, people, like, kind of looked out for each other, yeah. and I think that's even, like, that should be even more important if all this crazy shit is happening. We should be looking out for each other, and we should be trying to take care yeah. of each other. Yeah,
1: like, I have a vague idea, when you're saying about neighbors, I have a vague idea of what some of the people in my street are like,
0: oh, I think they live in that house, mm-hmm.
1: but, like, I don't know who anybody is, yeah. like... I know that I have new neighbors on one side, but like, I've never met them.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's important to kind of, obviously don't be nosy, but I feel like it's important to know like what your neighbor's general normal is. Because if something's not right, and like, you should be able to know to say something you know like you should you should be able to like say like this is not something is wrong here I need to tell somebody about it so I don't know
1: and maybe I'd be more aware if, like I had my own house and stuff um, yeah of like who my neighbors are like we're renting in a basement suite so like we're around the back like the entrance of where we go into our suite is like around the back of the house so like I'm not like aware of things that are happening like a lot more like to my neighbors and things but I don't know Anyway, I just think that it's sad. Yeah,
0: I think that I like I'd want the same for me. Like if something ever happened to me or Evan, like I'd want somebody to like call somebody sooner rather than later, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So they said it was kind of like the death they they said it was the death of neighborliness in that town because everybody yeah. just stopped trusting people, which I think is really sad. Um also I think it's important to note that the family Didn't, wasn't super happy with the book portraying um, their loved ones who were murdered. Um, Obviously, I didn't know them, so I can't say for sure. But I thought, like, because he gives such a great description of, like, the day before the murder, and he basically weaves it into the story that, like, just their lives, like, they, I think it humanizes them. Instead of just thinking of them as murder victims, they were people. And they had rich lives that were cut short because somebody decided they wanted an extra thousand dollars, you know, obviously I didn't know them and the family would know better than me. But I thought that because he gave that real, like, and it was quite a long section of the book where he described their lives and their relationships and all that kind of stuff. So I thought he did a pretty good job of humanizing them, but I think that is kind of the dark side of true crime and being obsessed with true crime is a lot of it is exploitative of people's pain. Yeah. So that's why I think that's why I've been so like hesitant to say anything because I just I don't want anybody to think that I'm disrespecting the victims or anything like that. And even like with any like of the true crime that I consume, which I consume a lot, it's not because of like a morbid fascination. It's because it's because I think I want the victims to be... Re- like, I would want to be remembered if it was me, you know? And I'd want to be remembered as a person and not just a victim. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's kind of the hard part about being into true crime is that it is kind of exploitative.
1: Yeah, it's like a double-edged knife. Like, yeah. obviously really passionate and wanting, like, these things to be solved and stuff. But at the same time, we don't ever want these to be committed.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I would i would prefer it even though i love reading about true crime i would prefer it if it never happened so yeah that was long that was a long one but loved the book it's so great i would recommend it to everybody i've already recommended it to almost everybody i know um if you're triggered by violence there's nothing mm, i think there might be a bit of description of like sexual violence but I don't think it was against these victims, but I think it might have been like some of the previous crimes of these uh, murderers. Mm-hmm. So that's a trick, that's a trigger warning there as well. Excellently written book. It's, it's a classic for a reason. Five stars from me. I loved it. I recommend it to everybody. Yay. That's it. Oh, God. I was so stressed. <laughs> I was so stressed about this book because, yeah, like I said, I just want to do it justice. And please do like shoot mm-hmm. us an email or a message if you think I did something wrong or if you want to talk about it because I'd love to talk about it with somebody else I really love this book
1: yay excellent job I did it (sighs) you did it
0: thank god I'm actually glad I kind of glad I went first because then I would have just been anxious the whole time
1: yeah so um today I'm gonna be speaking about um a book called Highway of Tears A True Story of Racism, Indifference, and the Pursuit of Justice for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on The Highway of Tears. So, the book is really based on from a lot of um, missing and murdered Indigenous women beginning in roughly the 1970s. So, The Highway of Tears is Highway 16, which is in... British Columbia, Northern British Columbia and it stretches from the coast to the interior beginning in Prince Rupert's on the mm. coast. So it stretches from Prince Rupert to Prince George in Northern British Columbia and the highway itself is 725 kilometers long and which is 450 miles and there has been a lot of incidents of um, missing and murdered Indigenous women along that stretch of road where they have either been found or they were on the road when they went missing. It's a whole mass of things that have not gone right mm-hmm. and things that weren't done properly. Mm-hmm. So there has been lots of different proposed like reasons for these things, like an explanations, um, which like poverty, drug abuse, domestic violence, um a disconnect with like traditional culture, the foster care system, mm. the Canadian Indian residential school system, yeah. a lot of these are like it's all like there's no one explicit thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and each individual case is very different, so the book it's just, itself, just all shit, really, yeah. So I should also read the um the description of the book, too, because it gives a little bit more of like a context of like what I was reading. A searing and revelatory account of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls of Highway 16 and an indictment of the society that failed them. For decades, Indigenous women and girls have gone missing or been found murdered along an isolated stretch of highway in northwestern British Columbia. The highway is also known as the Highway of Tears, and it has come to symbolise a national crisis. Journalist Jessica McDermott investigates the devastating effect these tragedies have had on the families of victims and their communities, and how systemic racism and indifference have created a climate where Indigenous women and girls are over-policed yet underprotected. Through interviews with those closest to the victims, mothers and fathers, siblings and friends, McDermott offers an intimate first-hand account of their loss and relentless fight for justice. Examining the historically fraught social and cultural tensions between settlers and Indigenous peoples in the region, McDermott links these cases to others across Canada, now estimated to number up to 4,000, contextualising them within a broader examination of the undervaluing of Indigenous lives in this country. Highway of Tears is a powerful story about our ongoing failure to provide justice for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and a testament to their families and communities, unwavering determination to find it. So. Heavy. It's a heavy topic. And the book starts out, it doesn't, so this is where it differs from your book. It doesn't have a set, like, this is the beginning and this is the end. It does, in a sense, have mm-hmm. an end to it because the book came out in September 2019. So it encapsulates a lot of information up until that point. Mm-hmm. But it's still ongoing. But it's still ongoing. Isn't it? Yep. Um. So a lot... Well, there's there has been a few cases that have been, like, quote-unquote solved. But mm. they've maybe been, like, they've had DNA evidence come to light after the fact so they've like Mm -hmm. but then by this point the person whose dna they found they the person had already died or Mm -hmm. people didn't come forward at the time but like a lot of the times like when they're discussing all of these cases and it just shows how the rcmp has failed as a police system i think within canada and The RCMP was created in Canada, so that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It was created in Canada as a paramilitary group to suppress Indigenous peoples within Northwestern Canada.
0: Okay, it's really sad that I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, uh... Because it was called,
1: before it was the RCMP, it was like the Northwestern Police or something like that, but it was a Mm. paramilitary Mm. group that was, like, in place... For the suppression of Indigenous peoples. And in a lot of ways, that hasn't changed. And I don't want to just, like, tar everybody and be like, everyone in the RCMP is horrible, like, blah, blah, blah. They have done, and there's certain people who, like, work within the police system that have done tremendous work to try and find what is the issue here. But the way that the RCMP is structured does not help the situation so an example of mm-hmm. that that is brought up in the book is when you first leave the depot which it's is in, in regina Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. yep when you first leave the depot you whatever province you signed up from to become an rcmp officer is like your home province mm-hmm. you are not sent back to that home province um for at least your first deployment
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you will be put somewhere else which I understand they don't want you to be like going as like and getting experience where there's like a lot of people that you potentially know. Hmm. So I think E division is um, the division that British Columbia falls into. So there was one police officer or ex RCMP officer that they spoke with. And he said that when he was doing his training and stuff, everyone was talking about wanting to sign up for E division. So he was like, Oh, cool. I'll go there too. So he ends up in the Highway of Tears region and I can't remember particularly what case he was working on but there was him and another officer who were like working on this case but you're redeployed to different places after like a year or two Hmm. so there is a heavy turnover of who is working in these places so that's where like municipal police forces differ from the RCMP, because the RCMP, you can just be like uprooted and then be placed across the country. Yeah, And there's no real, I don't think you have, as an officer, I don't think you have much choice in that. I think maybe you do now, but in like the 80s, 90s, not much choice. So they would start on these cases of like girls that were missing or cold murder cases, they would be working on them. And then all of a sudden they were deployed somewhere else or whatnot. So then there was no consistent. And then the new officers that came in, if they had to like continue on, they were like, well, I wasn't here when that was started. Like Mm -hmm. particularly, I think this was a big thing when it came to people who were missing Mm -hmm. because they were like, oh, well, I wasn't here when they went missing. So like, and with missing cases, there is like no evidence. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like it's very difficult to follow up with those. And to really find out what happens to people, not that it's any better when you then find a body, because there still can be so many unanswered questions as to like what particularly happened to that person. Mm-hmm. But at least there is some uh, comfort in knowing. Evidence. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so I'm wondering, like, does the RCMP? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't talk about this, but does the RCMP have a like cert like particular cold case department? Because I feel so like- I think they potentially do now.
1: Okay, and they they do talk about. Um, in oh god, I want to say the late 2000s, early like 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this like task force that was called Epana. Okay, and that encapsulated, but not you had to meet a certain criteria. Mm. So there were people who went missing or were murdered, and they didn't mm. meet the criteria of the task force, so they weren't included on the Epana list. Um, <sighs> yes. <laughs> So and I, I'm really sorry, I'm not gonna do this book enough justice in the sense that there are so many mm-hmm. names that are brought up mm-hmm. and it's really I think um McDermidge does an excellent job of she goes and talks to the families and you can see that like um there are family members who are talking about what who that person was to them and mm-hmm. like what a shining light they were and that they were gonna like changed the world. I remember I'm pretty sure it was um one of the names sticks out, Ramona Wilson. She wanted to become like a a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Never got the opportunity to become. She was like, I think just about to graduate high school, so she was gonna go on to become a (sighs) psychologist. Like all of these girls and even still, even if whatever their like situation was, that doesn't deprive somebody the right to their life. Mm -hmm. And when I was first reading, the, like the beginnings of the book, like there had been a couple mentions of like, oh, could this be like a like a predator that's on the loose killing women? And it wasn't addressed for like a little like I'd say the first like two chapters, it wasn't really addressed. But then they did talk about it, and like it has all the like key signifiers of a serial killer mm-hmm. targeting indigenous women,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just the blatant disregard for indigenous lives is so apparent in Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and you hear like when she goes into like each individual cases and it's this would be like my only like dislike of the book it's not like here is a case here's a chapter on her here is a case Mm. here is a chapter on her it's like constant in and out of Mm -hmm. different cases and then you go back to a case then you go forward like it it could be doing with a, maybe a slight reorganization mm-hmm. in that sense but i do understand that it is so much
0: information there's so
1: much and mm-hmm. it's very very hard to organize that in like a kind of linear line because mm-hmm. there would be like somebody would go missing there was a particular spate in like the 90s where like and for me when um like we've listened to a lot of like sorry i've lost my slipper um <laughs> true crime podcasts they talk a lot about like the '80s and the '70s being like the like pinnacle mm-hmm. of when like a lot of these crimes took place, but this it seems like th- there's like just like a, a point within like the early to mid '90s, like '95 seems to stick in my head a lot as being mentioned a lot, mm-hmm. like that early time and like that's round about the time we were born. Like to think that that's like still relatively new though it is coming up for 30 years. Yeah. Oh my god. Um <laughs> yeah. but to me that's not that far away. Yeah. That's within our lifetimes mm-hmm. roughly and the mm-hmm. fact that like there's still been cases since then. Mm-hmm. They talked about a case that was like the early 2000s. And I was like wait, what? Mm. <laughs> um so, no. So um
0: they okay, I don't know, maybe is this a spoiler, but like they think it's a serial ki- like a serial offender or they don't know like is there don't any don't
1: know is- <laughs> there's no clear definition on who this is like so that's like another like really frustrating thing there's a the potential that it could have been a serial killer mm-hmm. and at one point they talk to um a person who is like involved with um like GIS and mapping mm. and
0: that's what Evan does
1: yeah and how that if you have something going on and there's like a key uh, i want to say like um circumstance there's circumstance time and location that people were going missing Mm -hmm. and when you have that you can like hone in on geographical locations and if you're Mm -hmm. using the data properly you can find out like who is going missing like or you can like almost narrow it down and pinpoint it to people. Mm-hmm. And they talk about this in relation to. Um, so Robert Picton was a Canadian serial killer and former pig farmer.
0: And piece of shit. And he.
1: Yes. And <laughs> if you look up a picture of him, he is the weirdest looking fella around. Mm-hmm. And he. The span of his crimes was from 1983 till 2002. That's how like recent it was. And he. Was and just the fact that up... he could go
0: on for that long, that's thirty yeah. years. That's thirty yep.
1: years, or no, twenty. Uh, twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. So long time. Mm-hmm. No, nineteen. <laughs> <Not 29. laughs> <Jesus> math, Christ. <laughs> math and words.
0: Nobody said we were good at math. That's not yeah. why we're here.
1: So, this dude is considered to be one of the like most prolific. Prolific. God. <laughs> most prolific serial killers in canadian history Mm -hmm. um he was essentially picking up vulnerable sex workers from vancouver's downtown east side and taking them to his farm and killing them Mm -hmm. and just was a
0: real piece of shit
1: shit. but there was police things that they had like at one point they were like watching his house but nothing was turning up and then they needed to move on to a different case so they stopped watching him mm. then there was something else that came up and the only reason they ended up on his farm was due to them being tipped off that he had legal firearms in his property yeah because, because to do with murders that's
0: more important than people yeah. obviously
1: clearly so <sighs> there is the and but there was a guy who um a police officer who had was involved with GIS stuff and he had like I think gotten his PhD and like this is like what we should be using. But he was like laughed like by like the old school old boys, like mm. police officers who were like, no, no, we need hard evidence. We mm-hmm. can't use like the computer systems and the maps and things to figure out. But that's what they if they had been using that, they could have caught Picton a long time Sooner. ago. And they could have potentially have caught somebody in relation to the highway of tears. Or some of the cases because again this has spanned a long time. So, in in my perspective, this is not just one person. This is multiple people who mm-hmm. there is definitely views of like embedded racism into these people that are killing these women and girls along Highway Sixteen. And it like spoke at one point about how like within school life um, and communities and stuff, there would be like the locals and then, like, the Indigenous people within the school. Yeah, so, I... But really, like, who is the local? Like, yeah, that no. really b- bugs me, too. For but, sure. like, you would have, like, settlers and Indigenous, and there was, like, a divide within the high school, and then you would have all the cliques within those, like, two, like, factions within the school. And that was only, like, slightly commented on, but, like, definitely there, like, is divide <laughs>
0: oh my between God. people. Um. Yeah, like, I... <sighs> Growing up in Saskatchewan, I I can't speak for how it is in BC because I don't know. Evan worked a lot with actually he he would have been working with communities near there. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um he was working with a lot of indigenous indigenous communities when we were living in BC, and that was his mm-hmm. main his main job. And but like based on my experience here, like it's very there's such a divide between quote-unquote white people and settlers and the indigenous people and Mm -hmm. it's really it's bad it's bad and i i can like i i see it all the time the the hatred for and i'm just i don't understand it because yeah like you said like they were here first like and and they just got screwed by the like treaties and all that kind of stuff
1: and and that's where like bc is such a um Oh, there's no better word to say it than shit show um, in regards to treaties, because by the time that like they had been doing treaties across the country, by the time it came to BC, they didn't give a fuck anymore. No. And they were just like, no, we're here. We're staying. This is it. Yeah. This is our land now. Well, fuck you it, all.
0: Anything that like goes on on like indigenous land, they need to be consulted first. They're basically from what I understood from Evan's work is that they're basically their own like sovereignty.
1: Yeah, but places, a lot of them don't have that borders even made up yet. Some of them, well, so like they don't. That's what that's like, what Evan
0: did. Yeah, they were
1: working on. <laughs> yeah, but like that has been a long, long process, mm-hmm. and you think of like the potential damage that they've done from like resource extraction in that time. Like mm-hmm. it's not great. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So there has been some things like um, that. They they had like a symposium in 2006. I want to say that they came up with some things that needed to change like they needed to implement a bus system within the northern um, region along Mm -hmm. the highway so that people weren't hitchhiking Mm -hmm. between communities because that's a major thing if people are hitchhiking that they have like set resources in place that there's phone systems put in along the highway so people can be like, phone boxes and stuff so people can phone, mm-hmm. cell service is improved in certain regions because there's a huge stretch mm-hmm. of the road that doesn't have great cell service. So if people are along there... And that wasn't, like... That's, like, an issue that's now more being, more like...
0: modern. Yeah, we need
1: adequate cell phone service. Um, Pretty much none of these things have been implemented. So that's great. Um, I was going to say,
0: did they actually get done? Like, because this was, like, the no. Indigenous groups? Or, like...
1: Well, this was, like a symposium that came up I can't remember exactly why the symposium came up in the first place but there was some family members that decided that they were going to walk along the highway mm-hmm. so there has been walks done who I want to say um well there's been several done consistently for like a number of years and I again like it's hazy I can't remember exactly when they started doing these walks but some of them have done the whole highway mm-hmm. which I'll repeat again, was like seven hundred and twenty five kilometers long Ugh. or four hundred and fifty miles long. A long ass piece of road. Yeah. So there's some people who have walked the whole thing. Some people have done it like they their families will take it in sections.
2: Mm.
1: Um mm. some people have done from where their like whereas like their body was found like into the like the nearest city. So like if their body was found outside of Prince George, they'll do it like in Prince George, like They'll do sections, or if, like, this was the last place they were seen to Mm -hmm. where, like, they lived. Like, some people do, like, sections of it. But Mm -hmm. all of these, like, walks along the Highway of Tears are obviously filled with such emotion. And the first few that were done had, like, huge press involvement. And it wasn't, like, I don't know if it was, like, they were advertising. But, like, they obviously want to bring to light these cases. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing, is people don't give enough shit. (laughs) and it's really difficult to make sure that people are paying attention because they're like oh and oh my god one of the things that like when they're talking very early on in the book about like putting up posters and things like that of like um like their missing family member or like somebody else in the community and they're helping out they're putting up posters and stuff they would have people say to themselves and this is not something that like I wouldn't say it unless it was like in the context of the book, but they would be like, "Oh well, it's just another Indian." Like, who gives a shit? Kind of situation, and it's like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, no!" Mm-hmm. Like, so there was um a girl that did go missing in the early two thousands who did not grow up in the area. She um oh god, I think she grew up in Ontario, mm. um, and then her family moved to Red Deer, mm-hmm. um, and then they went she spent her summers tree planting in northern bc which is like okay. a like quite a common thing that people do mm-hmm. and like joseph has a couple cousins that have gone and done tree planting um from what i hear it's something i never want to do because
0: <laughs> yeah it would be hard work
1: it's hard work and you're like joseph said something about like one of his cousins like straight up when you put your hand into the soil and stuff you could just like straight up be putting your hand into like a hornet's nest or like um like you have to watch out constantly for bears Um, Because you're like definitely in bear territory there. Like, um, all of the things are just like hard pass, and the mosquitoes are rife. I'm allergic Mm. to mosquitoes, so it's just like all of those things (laughs) just a nope situation for me. Yeah. So there was somebody, and it was her. second uh, like it it wasn't her first time going tree planting but there was like they had a weekend off kind of situation Mm -hmm. and she was potentially going to go to this music festival that her sister was going to and her sister lived in Vancouver at the time so she had gone up to um I think Prince George for this music festival and her sister didn't show up and she's like well it wasn't a concrete plan but like there was just something not sitting right with her about Mm it um and her sister has like never been seen again but there was so much media attention because she was white
0: um, See, I, I, I just don't understand. But the family,
1: with that, the family were like uncomfortable with the fact that nobody else was getting attention. So they yeah. were like trying to, like in a lot of ways, use their like
0: their the pop. media attention
1: that they got to like highlight all of these other girls that were missing. Well, yeah, like, that gives I feel me chills. so bad. Just like, yeah, I feel <sighs> so bad, like just like generalizing and not really giving names. But I'm not joking. You, there's a lot of names mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. When you go on to like the Highway of Tears website, it's or like the Wikipedia page or anything like that, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And mm-hmm. like exact numbers, uh, vary according to like the RCMP Epana project. Sorry, I'm just rereading this, the number of victims was fewer than eighteen, but like organizations estimate that the number is like higher than forty, and.
0: Well, and I mean, if there's a lot of people who maybe like who don't have the family to notice that they're missing, yeah, like
1: and this is also just one stretch of highway. This is not including all murdered and indigenous mm-hmm. or murdered and missing indigenous women across Canada. This is just one highway, mm-hmm. and like fair enough, it's a big highway and it encompasses a lot of different communities along that highway. but there was a fact I heard today when i was listening to the book that was like um i know it down a little bit of it but it was hard to like type and listen at the same time six six percent of the national total of unsolved murders um i think are indigenous women but f- mm. i think it was like four percent of them were here um mm. something like that it was yeah. like very high So nationwide, Indigenous women make up 11% of the missing females, Mm. except that they only make up 4% of Canada's female population. So That
0: is not cool.
1: That's a wild, like, difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so disproportionate. Mm And not that they're, like, the, the number, the fact that there are so many people who are missing is obscene in the first place. Um... And it it maybe doesn't seem like a very high percentage when I'm talking about um like a whole country, but like of a country of like what thirty-three million people, that number comes up pretty high mm-hmm. um for how many people are actually missing. Mm-hmm. And it was really tough to listen to. But I really did like that they spent a lot of time talking with the families and finding out who that person was
2: mm-hmm.
1: because and they gave you that like whole kind of like this was their family. And even, like, this was their mother. Their mother lived here. She was sent to residential school. Mm -hmm. This is what happened with her. This, um, and they didn't give this for every single case, but, like, a few of them, they, like, highlighted the fact that they were put into residential schools, which, if our listeners don't know what those are, you're in for a really sad investigation on that. Mm -hmm. Um, That is uh, for a different day if we ever touch on the subject, because it's...
0: It's a lot and it's.
1: It's a lot and people may have heard of it too because um,
0: there's been a lot of. Was it this last
1: summer or mm-hmm. was it summer before? There's been a lot of things in the media about them finding a lot of um, remains rates. at different um, residential school sites. So, um, but essentially the core of it was that um, these children were taken from their homes by the RCMP um in a lot of cases um taken from their homes and put into these schools um to get their like indigenousness beat the shit out of them like essentially that's not really any sort of politically correct way of phrasing that but not good Mm -hmm. so it explains that like a lot of these families had so much generational trauma and not that that's the, then an excuse for why this person's now missing that that is like for me you should be like fighting even harder because like not only are they they have a family member who's now m- missing this is on top of the fact that they have generations worth of trauma mm-hmm. that has been created by the systems in place here like it, it just the whole time i was just very frustrated reading this because well there's nothing i can physically do for this like um, but I don't know how much people are aware of
2: how bad the absolute
1: is. atrocities and how bad it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there did seem like there was like glimmers of hope when they were like this symposium and there's going to be these things in place. It was like, oh, sweet. Like things are going to be done. None of them have been done.
0: Well, yeah. And I remember like, what, I can't remember, was it when Trudeau was first elected? He yep. said something so. about there being some new... I don't know, ta- I can't even remember what it was, but it was they were going to be looking into it, like missing yeah, and, so, and murdered women, and then I haven't heard of it since.
1: Okay, so <laughs> Trudeau, when he came into power, and he won a majority government at the time, and he, there was going to be a national inquiry into the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And there was, but um, some people whose family members went missing on the Highway of Tears weren't even, like, contacted. Mm-hmm. And some people who then contacted the office where the National Inquiry was taking place, they never heard back. They left voicemails, never heard back from anybody. There was a big, um, like, there was several um, community hearings that happened and, like, testimony and things like that. And, like, when you go onto the... Um, murdered and missing indigenous women and girls website um they have like a bit at the bottom that says like fast fast did you know there was um 2,386 participants in the truth gathering process um of that it was like 1,484 family members and survivors provided testimony 819 individuals shared through artistic impression expressions 83 experts knowledge keepers and officials provided testimony there were 15 community hearings and nine knowledge keeper expert and institutional hearings but from what i was hearing in the book is that that wasn't enough No, and there it does get to the point where it's like where will it be enough because it will never be enough but i think there was a lot of people that were felt felt that things it wasn't done to the standard that it should have been
2: well I mean, and
1: family weren't like kept in contact and that was something that was brought up at the earlier symposium was that nobody was keeping in contact with family members so they were either having to reach out to like the police forces or they were doing their own investigations because nobody was telling them anything and nobody was keeping them up to date on like mm-hmm. oh sorry the case is still like we still have it open we're still looking at things like in that a cursory like call Mm
2: -hmm. none of
1: that was being done Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and to think that these are um the cases where like people have actually like came forward and said somebody's missing there are potentially people who are missing and there are when you look through the list it's like unknown woman was found unknown Mm. like there are a few ones where like there are unknown people who have been found Mm -hmm. um and there's like one instance where there's cousins who like Were both. I I don't remember if they were like missing or both murdered. Like, but two, and they have like the same last name. Like they were cousins. Like, it's upsetting. It's so heartbreaking, and yeah. So they have concluded the like national inquiry, but again, I don't know. Like, there's the like on their website you can read the final report and the calls for justice, but it's one of those things where like I'm like. Unless this is actually, like, enacted upon, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, like, when they were talking about the EPANA, like, investigation. Like, it was given this, like, huge budget to start off with. And people were, like, super excited to be on board. And they had put a call out for people who were ex-police officers to come in and work on the task force. And so if they did, they weren't, like, RCMP officers. They were, like, almost, like, outside consultants or whatever Mm -hmm. but they thought that they would be able to like help and go and do interviews and things like that they weren't allowed to do that they could only work with the information that they had in-house um so they did have people who were like currently on like the police force who could go out and do that but because they weren't like hired specifically on if they then got an opportunity to then like i don't know get promoted move out of that office Mm. so there was huge turnover again huge problem with that because you train on people that you think will be really good in the position but they're so good that they're then reassigned to something else having people stay consistently and like work on things huge problem um and i seem to have like focused a lot on like what the the faults of the rcmp are here and like i really do believe that there is a lot of fault there too and but like the book itself doesn't just like solely focus on them as much as i am right now but i do feel there was so much that they could have done better Mm -hmm. and they didn't Mm -hmm. and the fact that like with epana they were like oh well that person doesn't like tick all the boxes they're not being included on the list like what that doesn't make any sense
0: Mm -hmm. and like what are what are the qualifications like what
1: how missing or how murdered does somebody yeah. need to be to, <laughs> yeah. to be put on a list? Like exactly, like I am um, overall. It was a very frustrating read to see how much there was like holes within society that like need to be fixed, um, and like obviously a lot of these women too, like they were potentially in more vulnerable situations than they could have been, and oh my god, that sounds so much like I'm victim blaming. Like that's no, not no, what I'm but... meaning. Like. But But they were were in vulnerable situations because of of these things that are in place that are greater than them. Like, it's the historical and like systemic ways that things have functioned for them Mm -hmm. and like their like generations before them, like that have been in place that have led to them being in this situation. And it's not
0: a reason that they should just be cast aside like nothing. Yeah. They should have the same like care of. Like in respect that yeah. anybody else gets,
1: and there's so many people who were like, they were last seen like just like leaving her home and walking down the highway. Mm-hmm. Last seen just like um near a bridge on the highway. Like yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's very sad. And like I would list all the names off, um, but I would be here a while, and that yeah, in itself I, is terrible, heartbreaking, and. Yeah. But I do want to commend the book in the fact that like it was very special in highlighting all of these cases and highlighting like who these people were as like individuals and who they wanted to be,
0: mm-hmm. and now they don't get to.
1: Yeah, and then there was some woman too who like left behind children, and they were like, mm-hmm. "There's no way that this person would have left behind like their son.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They loved them, and like all these things. Like they were." had such an active role within their like children's lives they would never just like abandon them and then and I'm not just saying like because then there were several instances where like the police like where there was distrust so they didn't want to go to the police Mm. or a whole weekend would pass like there was one case where like somebody thought that she was with her friend the mum thought or the mum thought she was with her friend and the friend thought that she was with her boyfriend. The boyfriend then said, hey, have you seen her? And she was like, no, I thought she was with you. So then the boyfriend went to the like the mom's house and said, hey, where is she? And the friend stayed in the car because she was like, well, I don't want to get her in trouble. And the boyfriend came back into the car and was like, um, apparently she's with you. So that makes so- it even
0: more difficult to figure out like... When she actually went missing. Yeah. The timeline is so important.
1: And I'm pretty sure that one, they still left like another day, and it wasn't until she didn't show up for her shift at the restaurant she worked at. It's
0: just bad. It's all bad.
1: When things happen with like missing people and stuff like that, usually what they say is like what the first 24 to 48 hours is the most crucial.
0: Yeah. That's why Um, there's a show called 48 Hours.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And. They they highlight that at one point, and they were like, to start off with, we thought, oh well, a lot of it is again that whole runaway situation where like, this person has run away, and they want to. They don't like, want to be they found. Have, they don't want to be like, found. What? Which then there was some people who like then were like, oh, we saw that she was heading to Vancouver, so then they go and then spend time away, like from their everyday lives. So they like then come down here and they're like searching on the downtown. East Side for somebody and spent so much time searching for people. And again, they had their own crisis that was going on. Um, with Robert Pickton, I was gonna say Pickleton, and I was like, that's again <laughs> not right. Um, but yeah. So and the the authors themselves, they um grew up in the area, like along. Mm. I can't remember if it was Prince George or Prince Rupert, but they grew up in Northern BC. So. They remembered certain cases from when they were growing up and then they spent time overseas as a journalist um, and eventually found themselves back in the area and got talking. And that's why they wrote the book was because they were like, no, no, we need to actually be, I want to take the stories of these girls and do something with that. So she had like the cooperation of many families to like get this book together. Um, So it wasn't like somebody was like, imposing on Mm -hmm. this they definitely like had like all of the right um i don't know authorities like right um permissions permissions there we go (laughs)
0: um
1: and it definitely like humanized the victims because sometimes you just hear of these names and like you don't really like attach anything to them but she definitely Mm -hmm. did a very good job at that just for me it was more of a a difficult like listen to like keep track of like who was who and Mm -hmm. exactly like their tale because it wasn't like a beginning to end storyline, but I understand with this too, you can't really.
0: It's hard to encapsulate. Do that, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, it is a very good book, and I would recommend it. Um, but you need to be in the right frame of mind, and you need to be very open minded of the like your own internal racism towards Indigenous people because um, they are a marginalized community, and that is through. Colonization and lots of other stuff, and it's uh, very exhausting to deal with this like not only as a settler but like as like another human, um, mm-hmm. it's very tiring, but I can only imagine that the heartache is even more for somebody who is indigenous, and you realize that like I'm way more at risk.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's tiring, but I think it's important.
1: Oh yeah, it's important and tough work. Um, and it definitely needs to be done.
0: And we, I think, as as white people, we need to we need to be seeking it out, like, seeking out that information for ourselves and not mm-hmm. putting the burden on, like, Indigenous people to tell us about it. Like, we should be
1: yeah, figuring like, it
0: out for ourselves. Because
1: it's traumatic and, like, they, yeah. they shouldn't have to be um, doing all the work to put the information out there for us. We should be seeking that for our own growth, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: And like knowing knowing what happens so that it doesn't happen again, or that we can mm-hmm. now we can put different systems into place, so it doesn't have to be as hard and traumatic anymore mm-hmm. yeah,
1: but yeah, if you're looking at a book to like get real annoyed at um, <laughs> in regards to the systems that are in place, definitely that, but it also I think very much highlights the fact that there is a huge problem, and yeah. Yep. And towards the end of the book, they even like, um, like termed it as a genocide um, of Indigenous people um, mm-hmm. or Indigenous women and children in Canada. And I can agree with that. Like, it's definitely yeah. targeted violence towards that group of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a bummer episode.
0: <laughs> well, but it's also
1: like it's a good episode because it's we important. Both like true true crime. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's, I think. Still, conversations need to be had. I think mm-hmm. so. Okay, I have a theory. I don't, they probably talked about this in the book, but like, did they ever look into like truck drivers?
1: I think that they well, they didn't explicitly say anything. They did say something about with like the things that they wanted from the symposium about truck drivers that are within the area having some sort of like system for hitchhikers, but like it being like a safe system for them to report if they saw someone on the highway that was a hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. I think it was more like a reporting system rather than them picking up. But they didn't say anything about them being like the um...
0: perpetrators. Yeah. Because like, well you said that ultimately in the end I think you said that you think it's multiple people? Like it's not just one person? Well,
1: I don't think it could physically be one person um, for like the vast area that it covers. And like I get it because like um, who's that dude? one of the books he lent me which i was gonna do for this one and then i was like nope that's too sad um, the american predator one yeah the american predator one i don't know is what Israel is real keys okay yeah him um he was like a wide spanning area he like there was he, like pretty much yeah
0: he wasn't yeah. a truck driver he just like
1: no smooth, i'm more meaning for smooth. like the scale of yeah. like yeah. where things were happening so i understand like truck drivers like cover a vast area but well and it's just harder to find
0: them like yeah if if, like it's gone on this long and it's like no one has been caught and it i don't like you said it doesn't sound like there's a lot of evidence with a lot of the cases so it's it's hard to say it's hard to link them and that's where like
1: there's there is like so little evidence because if somebody's missing there's like no evidence that they have Mm -hmm. um or very minimal evidence. evidence and if somebody's murdered, it depends on, like, the situation. It depends when the body was found,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, if the body was moved. Like, mm-hmm. there's all of these different things that come into play. And, yeah, I just, like, personally feel that I think that it has to be more than one person because there's so, so many cases and it spans such a wide time frame because when you look at this list, the first one that's mentioned on the list for Highway of Tears is, like, 1970 to 1979, mm-hmm. because they don't know the exact date of her disappearance. But then there's somebody immediately below her that's 1970, then 1971. Mm-hmm. So, like, but then it, there could have been way more before then. Um, but the last one that's on this list, um, is 2021 in so August, still happening, still happening. <sighs> um, yeah. but there that one there has somebody been charged for the murder, um, oh. so. But, and, like, with more recent ones, it seems that there potentially is maybe more, well, no, there's not, like, um, I was gonna say there's maybe more people being caught, but, like, not really. But, like, if you look at these lists, and 2020 alone, there's one, two, three, four hmm. listed on there. Like,
0: after we already did, like, an inquiry into it, and, like, yeah. so that didn't help at all, apparently no and i don't i just don't understand why why the onus is on the victims or not not the victims but
1: even the victims families to find out what's going on like that but the fact that like they were then turned around at some point and being like i can't remember where they were um they wanted to get like posters printed and they were like turned away i think it was potentially an rcmp office they asked oh would you print these out for them and they were like no Hmm. um that's nice Yeah, and just like
0: I I mean like the onus is on like women to not put themselves in the situation. Like Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Okay, but like also why aren't we telling these people not to be murdering people and and abducting people? Like why isn't that the narrative instead of don't be in a situation where you could be murdered or kidnapped? Like
1: It's the same with like rape can fall into that category too. It's like, Oh, well what was she wearing? Mm -hmm. No. Please kindly fuck off. Yeah. Like, what what was he doing?
0: Yeah. Maybe yeah.
1: maybe that should be the the question. Yeah. Other than that, um, yeah. It's
0: all bad. It, everything sucks. The world is the worst. But yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the theme of this episode. Actually, it's not true crime. It's everything sucks. Yep. And on that super bummer note, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's it for us this week. Yep.
1: Um. So. As we have announced in the other episodes, our read-along book is going to be Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And the episode that we will be discussing that book is going to be released on April 14th. So you still have a bit of time, like quite a lot of time, because this is February, but
0: well, well February this, when
1: we're recording this. This one will be um, released,
0: I think, in March. No, I don't remember. Yeah. So there's still a bit of time
1: to read. And We uh, yeah. hope you do.
0: We hope you read along with us. And we hope that you uh, send us a message with your thoughts. You can message us on Instagram at Dear Bear Book Club, And you can email us at DearBearBookClub at gmail.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about these books... Feel free to do the same thing, Instagram or email. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.